welcome to Immigration Review, your weekly source for immigration case law updates and insights. I'm your host, Kevin A. Gregg, back again to review the week's presidential immigration cases, rummaging through the decisions so you don't have to. This podcast is sponsored by Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, also known as KKTP, a law firm where I'm also a partner. Whether you are facing an immigration obstacle, a serious injury, or a legal issue in your business, KKTP will aggressively protect your best interests. This podcast is also sponsored by DocketWise, an all-in-one immigration forms and case management solution trusted by thousands of immigration lawyers across the U.S. I really like DocketWise. It makes immigration applications easy by allowing the clients to provide information through simple online questionnaires that are shareable by text or email and available in multiple languages. Not only that, DocketWise provides a comprehensive group of case management features, including invoicing and calendaring, secure messaging, task management, and a lot more. You can learn all about DocketWise and receive a 10% discount on your subscription by heading to docketwise.com immigration review so they know we sent you. And as always, this show does not constitute legal advice and has no bias other than to keep you up to date and to enable you, my dear colleagues, to excel in court. So, without further ado, let's start the review. The cases are not many this week, but boy do they pack a punch. Unless you've been living under Iraq or Iraq this week, you probably know that Attorney General Garland took some big steps to reverse some of the reactionary decisions issued by his predecessors. All of that and more on this week's Immigration Review. Starting off, you already know. Matter of AB, published by the Attorney General. So this is technically Matter of AB the third, and it completely vacates its prior iterations. Attorney General Garland doing work, and President Biden focusing on humane immigration policy, as he said he would. The Attorney General has vacated the prior ABs in anticipation of notice and comment rulemaking, or in his own words, quote, to leave open the questions that those opinions sought to resolve and to ensure that the departments have appropriate flexibility in the forthcoming rulemaking, end quote. Those forthcoming rules will hopefully be favorable to asylum seekers. As one of Attorney General Garland's biggest beefs with matter of AB the first was that the, quote, broad language could be read to create a strong presumption against asylum claims based on private conduct, end quote. Nor does he appear to like matter of AB the second's implementation of the, quote, complete helplessness, end quote, standard, which may or may not mean the same thing as the historic unable or unwilling to protect legal standard used in asylum. And so to summarize, quote, Pending rulemaking, immigration judges and the board should follow pre-AB precedent, including matter of ARCG, end quote. You heard that right. Matter of ARCG is back, a sentence the private bar could only dream of in October 2020. And for those of you who have forgotten, under that case, the BIA recognized as a cognizable particular social group, quote, married women in Guatemala who are unable to leave their relationship, end quote. 
So what happens now? What about the circuits that have agreed with matter of AB? Well, without putting too much thought into it, it would appear to me that the BIA can't and shouldn't rely on those decisions, nor should the circuits, because those decisions were rooted in agency deference. After all, the particular social group definition is kind of the quintessential ambiguous phrase, which means that the circuits must defer to the Attorney General's reasonable interpretation, at least with most aspects of the inquiry. Nuance aside, I'm nearly positive that all of the decisions that agreed with matter of AB, in total or in part, were rooted in Chevron deference. And without anything to defer to anymore, those decisions probably aren't good law, and certainly wouldn't seem to control the BIA or immigration judges over the Attorney General. What happens to matter of ACAA, another Attorney General decision that relied upon matter of AB and discussed gender-based particular social groups? Seems like at least part of it might be on rough ground. A final word of historical warning to rain on everybody's parade, I believe that the Department of Justice said that they were going to promulgate similar rules on this issue way back at the end of the Clinton administration. But the administrations changed, and the rules were never issued. But Attorney General Garland, of course, also knows that, because he was in Attorney General Reno's inner circle during the Clinton years. And we've got three and a half years left in President Biden's first term. Rock and roll. And that is Matter of AB, the third. Next, we have Matter of LEA, published by the Attorney General on the same day. And this would be the biggest news in any other week because the Attorney General also vacated, in addition to Matter of A.B.'s, Matter of L.E.A. the second in its entirety, making this decision here Matter of L.E.A. the third. A bit of a recap. In Matter of L.E.A. the first, the BIA held generally that a, quote, respondent's father's immediate family qualified as a particular social group, end quote. According to Attorney General Garland, Attorney General Barr overruled that, in matter of LEA II, by holding that, quote, in the ordinary case, a nuclear family will not, without more, qualify, end quote. Now, in fairness to Attorney General Barr, he did throw certain asylum seeker families a bone, such as former European royalty, holding that indeed, the Russian Romanov family would likely qualify as a particular social group, at least in 1917. Attorney General Barr left for another day the hypothetical status of Rasputin. Anyway, Attorney General Garland vacated that and all of Matter of LEA the second, and stated that this issue, that is, family-based particular social groups, will be addressed with notice and comment rulemaking. Also, and for good measure in a footnote, Attorney General Garland called out Attorney General Barr's entire particular social group analysis as dicta. Take that, Attorney General Barr. IJs and the BIA, quote, should no longer follow matter of LEA the second, end quote. As to Mr. or Mrs. LEA himself or herself, the case is remanded back to the IJ to apply matter of LEA the first and the third, but not the second. Good luck, Judge. So it appears that huge notice and comment rulemaking is forthcoming, quote, addressing the definition of particular social group, end quote. And relatedly, 
Associate Attorney General Vanita Gupta issued a memorandum the same day as both of these decisions, instructing oil attorneys to, quote, please review any pending cases that may be affected by the Attorney General's vacature of LEA II, AB I, and AB II, and take appropriate steps in light of that development, including seeking remands in appropriate cases to allow the board to reconsider asylum claims based on this change in the law, end quote. So a big heads up there for circuit practitioners. And thanks to the National Lawyers Guild Immigration Listserv for that gem. And you know I didn't miss it. Literally with the last sentence in his two monster decisions, Attorney General Garland pours a whole bunch of cold water on Pereira and Niz Chavez-type motions to terminate for lack of jurisdiction based on deficient NTAs, stating that he, quote, concludes that jurisdiction over this matter is proper even though respondents' charging document lacked certain information about the first hearing, end quote. If the Attorney General had to do it, I respect that he did it this way, in this decision, and in a footnote. And that is Matter of LEA, the third. Getting to some substance... We have Thamotar, the U.S. Attorney General, published by the 11th Circuit on June 17, 2021. This case is about the asylum and withholding of removal regulations, and it's very similar to the Sathanthrasa, the Attorney General of the U.S. decision out of the 3rd Circuit, discussed on episode 14 of the podcast. Like in that case, Mr. Thamotar is from Sri Lanka. And like in that case, an immigration judge granted him withholding of removal, but denied asylum as a matter of discretion. Mr. Thamator claimed to fear Sri Lankan army police officers who he testified arrested, beat, imprisoned, and tortured him because he was a Tamil, accusing him of being part of the LTTE, also known as the Tamil Tigers. But the IJ found Mr. Thamator not credible and denied asylum and withholding of removal relief. The IJ also denied asylum as a matter of discretion, based on that adverse credibility finding and the fact that Mr. Thamatar didn't seek asylum in the various Latin American countries that he passed through on the way to the United States. A fairly outside-of-the-box path to take by the IJ. The BIA affirmed, but before the 11th Circuit, Oil asked for a remand for reconsideration of whether Even if Mr. Thamator wasn't credible, the country condition evidence showed that ethnic Tamils like himself are persecuted in Sri Lanka, which would therefore make withholding of removal mandatory. On remand, the immigration judge found that indeed, there was a pattern or practice of persecution against ethnic Tamils in Sri Lanka, as oil apparently suspected might be the case by the way, everybody. And so, the IJ granted Mr. Thamator withholding of removal. But the IJ denied asylum again, the only path for a green card or for a non-citizen to bring one's family to the United States. And the IJ denied based on the adverse credibility finding and as a matter of discretion, again. The BIA affirmed. But here's the thing. 8 CFR section 1208.16e requires that if an immigration judge grants withholding but denies asylum as a matter of discretion, quote, thereby effectively precluding admission of the applicant's spouse or minor children following to join him or her, the denial of asylum shall be reconsidered, end quote. 
Agreeing with the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 9th circuits, the 11th circuit held here that, quote, it is both logical and reasonable that reconsideration of asylum is mandatory for a petitioner in this unusual legal status, end quote. And the 11th Circuit went even further than some of those courts, agreeing with the 3rd and the 9th Circuits to hold that the regulation, quote, requires reconsideration anew of the discretionary denial of asylum, end quote, under the, quote, totality of circumstances, end quote. If the IJ grants withholding but denies asylum, the IJ must reconsider all reasons for denying as a matter of discretion de novo. Quote, paying particular attention to the reasonable alternatives for family reunification, end quote. The IJ and the BIA failed to conduct that analysis here, with Mr. Thamator's spouse and his three minor children left in Sri Lanka. Rather, quote, the immigration judge simply incorporated and reiterated the findings from his initial decision denying Mr. Thamator asylum and stated, without explanation, that he had weighed both positive and negative equities, end quote. This, an IJ cannot do, particularly as the IJ did not in any way address the family unity concerns specified by the regulation. And oh, by the way, the 11th Circuit held for the first time in any decision that it had jurisdiction to review this issue because even though withholding of removal was granted, there is still a final order of removal which is what's required jurisdictionally of a petition for review. Plus, the dispute isn't mooted by the grant of withholding, because asylum was denied, and asylum provides, quote, more benefits than withholding of removal, end quote. Woot woot. Congratulations, counsel, on an excellent win. I can't name you because the 11th Circuit, like many circuits, doesn't include the attorney's names in its PDF day of decisions. But you know who you are. Here's some more. So first, although the 11th Circuit based its decision here on the fact that asylum was denied by the IJ as a matter of discretion, the 11th Circuit appears to be using the word discretion broadly to encompass the adverse credibility finding as well. So put another way, even without that technical discretionary denial, it appears to me that a denial of asylum and a grant of withholding would require reevaluating asylum, even if the asylum denial was based solely on an adverse credibility finding. Definitely worth the argument. Also noteworthy, I believe this may be the first non-citizen friendly decision that Judge Lagoa has signed on to. And in it, relying on Supreme Court precedent, the 11th Circuit has expressly elected in a footnote to use the term non-citizen instead of alien. Also in a footnote, the 11th Circuit held that I'm not crazy and confirmed that yes indeed, the colloquially known death to asylum regulations are subject to a preliminary injunction that's pending before the 9th Circuit. So those regulations are not active. I knew I wasn't crazy. Yet. Finally, here's something that at least I find interesting for standards of review. The 11th Circuit states, quote, we review the record evidence in the light most favorable to the agency's decision and draw all reasonable inferences in its favor, end quote. Obviously, I don't love that, but it's also a pretty similar standard to the summary judgment standard employed in civil litigation. So practitioners, if you want to get creative and poke some holes in a BIA decision, maybe expand your Westlaw search 
into civil litigation summary judgment and find the thousands of decisions where summary judgment was granted at the district or appellate levels, even with all reasonable inferences being drawn for the non-moving party. And that is Thamatar, the U.S. Attorney General. Finally, we have Darby v. Attorney General of the U.S., published by the Third Circuit on June 17, 2021. This case is about change country condition, motions to reopen. Miss Darby is from Jamaica. She became a lawful permanent resident in the United States, but was subsequently convicted of conspiracy to commit mail and wire fraud, the leaders of whom were located in Jamaica. During the scheme, things went a bit south over money, and the leader, named Ringo, threatened to, quote, blow up her house with bullets, end quote. As part of her conviction in the U.S., Miss Darby provided information to the U.S. government about Ringo in exchange for a reduced sentence. An immigration judge held that the conviction was an aggravated felony that made Miss Darby removable, and she applied for asylum and related relief. She was barred for asylum because of the aggravated felony, but not withholding of removal or Convention Against Torture protection, which she applied for based on her fear of Ringo and his associates. The IJ held that Miss Darby was credible, but hadn't shown that she'd more likely than not be persecuted or tortured by Ringo, and so he denied the applications for relief and protection. The BIA affirmed. One and a half years later, Miss Darby claimed that a change in circumstances had occurred. USCIS had approved an I-130 petition filed by her U.S. citizen son who was over 21 years old, and Ringo had been extradited to the United States for prosecution, completed his sentence, and apparently returned to Jamaica. Also, there was a newspaper article indicating that Ringo killed a woman in Jamaica. Ms. Darby argued that those latter two things now made her eligible for Convention Against Torture Protection. The BIA denied the motion to reopen. So there's actually two motions here. A change country condition motion to reopen that has no time deadline, and a regulatory motion to reopen that usually must be filed within 90 days of the final order. Ms. Darby didn't argue that the time deadline should be equitably told. So really, her second motion, the one based on the approved I-130, is a sua sponte motion to reopen, asking the BIA to exercise its discretion to reopen proceedings so she can try to readjust a lawful permanent resident status based on that approved I-130 petition. The Third Circuit affirmed the BIA's denial of the motion. First, the Convention Against Torture motion. To succeed, the new evidence must be material. And quote, the materiality standard requires that the applicant show facts that would be sufficient if proved to change the result of her application. End quote. Or stated differently, quote, materiality thus requires at a minimum that an applicant's evidence in a motion to reopen address the deficiencies of the initial application. End quote. That is a lower standard than a prima facie showing that the relief or protection is warranted. But then, in the Third Circuit at least, and only if materiality is shown, it must then be the case that with all the evidence taken together, old and new, the applicant has become prima facie eligible for the relief or protection, meaning that, quote, the evidence be sufficient to show a reasonable likelihood that the statutory requirements have been met, end quote. 
the Third Circuit calls these two steps the procedural hurdle and the substantive hurdle. Apropos. Hurdles, they are. Miss Darby didn't meet this standard because her evidence wasn't material. It didn't address all of the reasons identified by the IJ and the BIA to deny her cat protection application, including that the Jamaican government would acquiesce to torture by Ringo. She didn't present new evidence on that inquiry. Turning to the sua sponte portion of the motion then, the Third Circuit recognized that it can only review such denials if the BIA's denial was based on an incorrect legal premise or if the BIA departed from settled BIA practice, i.e. find a bunch of cases where the BIA did the opposite of what they did in your case. Ms. Darby's new potential eligibility to again adjust status based on the approved visa petition filed by her son does not meet that standard. And by the way, she'd require at a minimum an INA Section 212H waiver to waive what is surely a CIMT conviction, although the Third Circuit doesn't really discuss that other potential problem to her sua sponte motion to reopen. So because the approved petition didn't fall into one of the two categories that allows the Third Circuit to review a sua sponte motion to reopen denial, the Third Circuit held that it couldn't review the issue. But Judge Restrepo dissented on that last part, so check it out. So Miss Darby did not succeed, but here's a succinct guidepost for everyone. There were a fair amount of legal standards discussed in this case in the negative, but here's how you can think about the materiality and prima facie standards for these type of motions to reopen in the positive and succeed on your motion. Quote, if the applicant presents new evidence that addresses the IJ's findings and was previously unavailable, she clears the procedural hurdle. Then, if the new material evidence of changed country conditions can show a reasonable likelihood that the statutory requirements for relief have been satisfied, she clears the substantive hurdle. End quote. Sounds clear to me. And that is Darby v. Attorney General of the U.S. So there you have it. You're all caught up with the past week's published immigration cases. I'm Kevin A. Gregg, a partner with the law firm Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, and this has been another episode of Immigration Review. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and rate and review us. Each review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, subscribe to Immigration Review wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what we do and want to become a patron of the show, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash immigration review, or click on the link in the show notes. And if you're interested in an official Immigration Review CLE certificate for five credit hours, email me at kgreg at kktplaw.com with your full name and the episode numbers for the 10 shows you've listened to. Also, feel free to email me with questions, comments, or anything at all. And follow the show on Instagram and Facebook, at Immigration Review. And send us a tweet, at ImReview. That's I-M-M Review. I'll be back next Monday for a brand new discussion. Until then, I'm Kevin A. Gregg, bringing you the Immigration Review. Thank you.